and action. Hello out there to all our 34 Circe podcast. And cut. <laughs> Hello out there to all our 34 Circe Salon podcast listeners. I'm Don Sam Alden. And I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you so much for following this podcast and for your support for programs that explore the untold stories of female agency and adventure throughout history. This program is more than just something that we love doing, and we really deeply love it. It's also a mission for us. And we'd love for it to be a mission for you as well. So we've created an account on Patreon, a fundraising website, in order to help us fund the podcast and some other really great, really fun projects that we have planned. So if you're able, please go over to patreon.com slash 34 Circe and pledge your support. You can do a one-time donation or a monthly subscription. And any amount, even a dollar, helps fulfill the mission to help make matriarchy great again. So thank you for taking the time to listen to us in this exciting little commercial spot that we've given you. So <laughs> now on to the show. Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I am here with... Don Sam Alden. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome. And Don, we have a special guest, do we not? We do indeed. I am super excited about this because um, this woman's book has been a part of my life for probably, oh, I don't want to say how many years, but a couple of decades at least. Um, we are uh, we are thrilled to have Ellen Snortland on our podcast today. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you for having me. And I like to spell my name for people because it's such a ludicrous last name. So, but, but phonetically, it's spelled Ellen Snortland. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because having a last name like that, you kind of understand why I would go into self-defense, right? <laughs> well, you got to work with what you got, right? That's right. That's right. So um, let's see, my my mini bio that I would tell people about myself. Well, I'm hard to categorize. Uh, my father was a big Winston Churchill um, fan, and um, I when I was a little girl, I said, daddy, what, who, who's Winston Churchill? And he says, well, he's a Renaissance man. And I go, what's that daddy? And he says, well, it's somebody who's really good at a lot of different things. Um, and doesn't, you know, specialize in anything, but it's, he isn't just a, a tourist in the topics. And I said, well, can I be a Renaissance girl? And he said, yeah, why not? So, I determined that I would get really good at a lot of different things. Nice. Um, yeah. So I'm a, a primarily 
a writer, although I used to be a performer and a producer, but now my biggest thing is that I have a weekly column in the Pasadena Weekly and the Los Angeles Downtown News, and um, I am a writing coach, which I just love writers. Oh my God, I love writers. (laughs) So I teach three classes a week and have private first-time book uh, author clients from all over the world. And I pretty much am a dog lover and I adore my husband. And that's pretty much what you need to know about me, except, okay, I have an education that is um, a BA in theater and film. And I have my Juris Doctorate from Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. So there, that's... There we go. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a curveball to throw at you, Ellen. Oh, okay. I, I want to know about something which has... I it, It's it's a memory from a very early memory of a film that, because I'm a fan, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a fan of Bruce Lee, and I happen to notice in your bio something called They Call Me Bruce. Do you have any recollection of that film? Yes, that was my first movie part. And um, yeah, but we will not speak any further of it. Okay. I just, I, it's, it's a film because I love Bruce Lee so much. I remember <laughs> when that film came out. So anyway, that's that. I just, I just wanted to bring up any chance I get to reference Bruce Lee, I will. There so, you go. There you go. There you go. Anyhow. Okay. Thank you for indulging me. On <laughs> All right. Well, before we get started uh, digging into the meat of this, I just want to put out a content warning for all our listeners. We are going to be speaking about assault against women specifically um, and generally sexual assault, physical assault. Um, So if that is something that flips your triggers, um, you may want to skip to the next episode. Uh, also, I think, um, Dawn, did, was there a person you wanted to uh, give a shout out oh, to? Oh, yes. Point hey, out to Charlie. Well? Just wanted to say hi. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Charlie is one of our fabulous listeners. All right. <laughs> hi, Charlie. <laughs> awesome. All hi, Charlie, right. too. So, um, so, Ellen, you came to my attention because of a book uh, that you wrote back in the 90s, right? Yeah, 1998 uh, is the copy that I have, um, called Beauty Bites Beast. Yes. And uh, the subtitle is Awakening the Warrior Within Women and Girls. So at that time, I was the um, artistic director of a brand new theater company called Babes with Blades, which... I have talked about on this podcast before, um, but was a stage combat uh, theater company. And so it was women fighting. And we were dealing with a lot of sort of weirdness from the community about seeing women fight and seeing women in fighting roles. And why would women want to fight? When we did a, uh, when we did a promo piece on a morning news show in Chicago, um, the anchor drew me aside and said something along the lines of, women are supposed to be the peacekeepers and men the fighters. And if women start fighting too, then who is going to, who is going to hold society together, essentially? So, um, <laughs> so. T- t- yeah. Dogs and cats living together. Absolutely, yeah, like- absolutely. Was that anchor male or female? That anchor was male. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you mentioned something similar in your book too, right? I want that yeah, a, yeah. So when I read your book, it was it was just I mean, it was right in the heart of a lot of things that I was dealing with on a daily basis. And it absolutely just resonated for me uh, mm -hmm. on so many levels. So um, first of all, thank you for writing the book. And uh, <laughs> if you can remember back to 1998 and, you know, the, the, the years around then, um, how did you come up, how did you write this book? You know, what sort of spurred you to write this book? And, well, um, like a lot of uh, white, privileged, uh, middle-class women, I had not really seriously had to contend with violence, whether it was societal violence or domestic violence. And I was pretty naive and pretty protected, I'd say, raised to believe that uh, men would always behave themselves or that if they didn't, there would be a man there to protect me. Yeah. So um, what happened is that my second husband and I, uh, like many Los Angeles couples, uh, met for dinner in separate cars and um, we drove home to our 5,000 square foot uh, craftsman near MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. And we drove down the driveway at midnight straight up. I'll never forget that. And he was in front of me and uh, we stopped the cars. And all of a sudden he's at my window on my driver's side, obviously, uh, saying, and I rolled down the window and he says, stay in the car. Somebody's broken into the house. And sure enough, I looked over and I saw that the door, the side door into our house was open and that somebody had broken the window and left the brick they used to break the window on the driveway. And so Greg, my then husband, went inside the house. There's no light, there are no lights on in the house. And I'm sitting there frozen. And I went, wait a second, what kind of feminist partner am I to <laughs> let my husband go in by himself? What? And what's he going to do? He's had wrestling in high school. That's it. You know, right. <laughs> and so I get out of my car and I walk over to the door. And just as I'm about ready to cross the threshold, a man with a knife and a uh, balaclava over his face right. is coming up the basement store, uh, basement stairs and holds up the knife and he's ready to plunge it into me and I freeze. And then a little voice in me says, do something, do it now. And I screamed so loudly, that man dropped the knife, grabbed his ears and ran like hell. And, you know, I slumped down. Uh, my heart was, uh, I mean, all the cliches kicked in, right? All the, my heart was in my throat and uh, my poor husband was in another part of the house. He was fine. He hadn't confronted anybody or anything. And he wasn't sure if he was going to find me murdered. Uh, it was just such a blood curdling scream. And um, he comes down and, oh, I was very much alive. I was shaking uh, like an earthquake. I mean, I was just obviously overwhelmed all that, all that adrenaline yeah, yeah. just coursing oh, yeah. through your system oh, yeah oh yeah oh yeah and um so um 
after I'd calmed down a little bit, he said, well, okay, for your next birthday, I'm giving you a self-defense class. And so at the time I was a segment producer for a pretty big talk show. And, um, I went into work the next day and we had about 40 people on staff and I went to every single person and I said, do you know how to defend yourself? And Dawn and Sean, without exception, 100% of the men said, yeah, okay, yeah. Clearly some of them were lying. Mm. And then every single woman said, oh my God, no, I can't even believe you knew to scream. And Mm. I thought, wow, this is weird. This is really weird. Where else is there such a gap in life experience? And so I'm a voracious reader. And as I am wont to do when I'm curious about something, I tried to read everything I possibly could to discover why, why was there such a discrepancy? Why? And I could not find a book. And Toni Morrison has a great quote, and I might be mangling it, but it's something like, if there is a book that you want to read that does not exist, then you must write it. Yeah. So I did. There you go. <laughs> and that's how Beauty Bites Beast came about. The title, do you want to know how I came up with the title? Yeah. Well, you know, the old adage, uh, dog bites man, no story. Man bites dog, there you've got a story. Well, Beauty Bites Beast is the parallel to that. And I discovered as I was starting to write my book that there were many, many, many instances of women and kids, too, who had defended themselves very successfully, but they just were not written down or made available. Yes. I thought, what the hell? What's going on here? This is suppression. This is... This is it, 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 this is indefensible, and um, it was really cemented in people's brains that if you printed stories where women had protected themselves, that you might give the pretty little things uh, ideas, and they would use it, and then um, would get hurt worse. <laughs> Just all this bizarre thinking. Yeah. Well, we we this is. A running theme with us, Ellen. This, in fact, this very exact topic about the suppression of these stories is probably the through line for all of our podcasts. I mean, I think Don, we've talked about this yeah. on air, off air. It's just there's so many of these stories. It exists throughout history, all over the world, and it gets it gets suppressed, it gets erased, it gets buried. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and I. You know, I I remember thinking at one point, goodness, this must have been in in the early '90s, somewhere around there. I you know was uh, I just turned on the television to to see what was on, and um, and happened to catch the very beginning of a show where a woman was being sexually assaulted in her own home. Um, you know, in in horrifying detail at 8 p.m. at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember thinking when I read your book that I don't recall ever seeing anything in the media, like television, film, documentary, you name it, where if a woman is attacked, she does not automatically get raped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that yeah. there's I, I don't remember ever seeing an instance where an ordinary person fought off an attacker. Exactly. Exactly. And it's an unconscious, uh, unexamined trope for the most part, even now, because when women defend themselves now, it's often someone who's highly trained or is armed right. and uh, is incredibly physically fit. Yes. And, it, you know, so it still is removed from normal women having access to what I consider to be the moral property of women, which is the knowledge and the practice of self-defense. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. So how um, how was the book received? Well, huh. Oh, my God. More suppression. <laughs> I know it's really a surprise, isn't it? it huge. Um, I, I don't. I am speechless. Yeah. I know, I know. Well, my publisher was so excited about it, and she, um, a very rare uh, woman in publishing, she was sure it was going to be a hit, and um, she could not get anyone to review it. She got cursory answers like, yeah, thank you very much, but we do not review physical education books. Wow. And just minimized, marginalized, ignored um, and it was such an insult. Meanwhile, I, I felt like curling up and, you know, crawling away, except that Gavin De Becker, when I sent him three chapters, he wrote back and he said, this is one of the most important books I have ever read. Oh my God. And yes, absolutely. I will write your foreword. Oh, so wonderful. That, yes. That was enough to be validated. And then, Ooh, here's the anecdote that just chaps my ass. Um, a little back, my, my husband, Greg at the time, um, he was very proud of it. And he told a friend of his that his wife, um, he had gone to high school with this woman, um, was an author and she'd just finished, um, her first book, that being me. And um, she was so curious about who Greg would have married. So she said, oh, I would love to see the galleys. And um, so he sent them to her. Well, it just so happened that she was a segment producer on Dateline NBC. And she wrote me an email. She said, I'm like 48 pages into your book, and I'm having thoughts I had never had before. It's rare that I get to see ideas that never occurred to me. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to have you featured on uh, Dateline NBC. So she did. She got me on. It was a very positive segment. I mean, it was just really wonderful. Except her supervising producer would not, would not feature adult women defending themselves, but he could get behind uh, our self-defense classes for kids because he said, I don't want women to be seen as people who could be um, violent. So <laughs> it was like, wow. even, even that triumph was uh, painted with a brush that was like, okay, we'll just take what we can get. And then my publisher and I were trying to figure out how many 
books to have on hand warehousing, because at the time it was before dig- the digital revolution and print on demand and everything. You had to guess how many books to print up to have on hand. And that meant storage and that meant a big outlay of money. Right. Um, and so we just said, well, we will watch the numbers overnight and see if we can go from there. Well, guess how many books sold that night? Just take a wild guess. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> take a stab at it. I, I have no idea about the publishing industry, so I don't know. Eleven. Eleven. Well, you're 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 <laughs> even worse than no. Uh thirty-five, three five, three five. I, millions, millions of viewers. Millions. Wow. So while that broke my heart, I'm not kidding, it broke my heart. Oh, sure. It also yeah. took a little bit of the personal onus off of it because I'm going, wow, I am indeed in the dark underbelly of patriarchy here that it wasn't because it wasn't good enough. It wasn't because Dateline NBC wasn't good enough. It was like people just don't want to deal with this. They do not want to deal with it yeah. and they, <laughs> they won't. Yeah. I want to, can I, I may ask you a question on this? And I, I threw that number out just to be facetious because I thought it was going to be in the thousands. Yeah. Just so you know. Um, one of the things that struck me in reading the book, you know, you're talking about a time frame, and we all remember the late, well, <laughs> the three of us remember the late 90s. Um, because of how, and, and Don, I think you and I have been on a similar journey of, of women warriors, of looking at that, of being interested in that, it, it for me, this topic is sort of second nature, right? It's something that I've always thought about that's always been of interest right. and always expected. And I'm what I'm curious about, because as I read it, I wonder a couple of things, uh, but one in particular is, have you noticed a, a, a difference over the, obviously over the last 25 years in terms of how much more comfortable people may or may not be, because I'm just you know going from one standpoint about this topic. So in other words, are women more receptive now in 2022? Uh, and if so, we'll just assume so. How much more so? Because I, as I read the book, all these topics, there's so many great women MMA fighters. I've gotten to know women in mixed martial arts, women boxers, and just so many women in the self-defense area, stunt women, and of course women like Dawn who do combat stage fighting. Um, that I that for me, it was odd that anybody wouldn't be receptive to this. So that's why... I found it very interesting to, to from that framework. Do you have you noticed a, a big difference or any difference? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is. Well, no. it's obviously hard for me to quantify it because I don't have, you know, an extra million dollars to do an actual survey, which I would love to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, actually, that would be great. That would be great, actually. Yeah, wouldn't it? Quite frankly. Well, I think it impacts uh, women's health, even. But that's a whole nother topic. Um, yes and no. And the United States, in my view, is not monolithic by any means, and that certainly has uh, been true in women's liberation or gender awareness. Um, So on the coasts, yes, I think there has been a shift. Um, And in middle America, I grew up in South Dakota, um, and I, I'm in touch with my friends from high school and college and grade school even. And it's still um, 
kind of taboo. Um, And, you know, now that said, they are, people are more used to seeing strong women characters, especially in television. Um, So I think, yes, it has shifted. Um, And I think one of the things that seems a little counterintuitive is that men who are fathers of daughters are often the biggest advocates of our work. I say our because I'm not the only one in the self-defense community, obviously. I'm one of the biggest mouths. In- <laughs> and bless you for it. <laughs> but, you know, um, I have fathers go, yep, I I want my girl to take this as soon as possible. How early can we start? And women are often the ones to put the brakes on it because they are coming from a history of uh, post PTSD, frankly, they have determined that if had they fought back, they would have been hurt worse Mm -hmm. and they don't have evidence to the contrary. So uh, they're often the ones that put the brakes on their girls freedoms more than the father would. And I think that's, based on life is lived experience. Men have more experience with contact sports. They have more experience of men as people and that they are simply flesh and blood. Uh, and men have been so pedestalized uh, that a lot of women just go, Oh, it's too strong. I can't do anything. Um, that's terrible. What a terrible story. Uh, there's also <laughs> another aspect to it that I, I, f- have noticed because when we were doing, we did uh, self-defense classes through babes with blades mm-hmm. um, as well uh, for just, you know, free self-defense classes for women. Right. Um, and one of the gals in babes who was, you know, freaking tough, badass warrior woman on stage. Right. She didn't want to take the self-defense classes. And I think there is, I, the, the analogy that I use is as women, we all know that every month we're supposed to do a self breast exam, right? right? To check for lumps. Right. We know that that is preventative and that if you catch breast cancer early, it's much more likely to, you know, to be um, taken care of and you will survive it. But right. do we do it every month? Oh, no, 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 I don't. I don't. Even though both of my grandmothers died of breast cancer. Uh I don't do it every month because there is a part of my lizard brain that does not want to know. Yep. It's easier to not be faced with that potentiality. And I think there is a similar mentality with self-defense and women. It's like if I if I learn that knowledge that is good knowledge that will make my life better, that will right. make my my you know that will increase my safety. If I accept that knowledge into my head, then I have yeah. to deal with the fact that I live in a violent world, and sometimes yeah. it's just easier to just pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's an important factor. I one similar to that is that um I I know that a lot of people when I call they go, "Oh god, she's going to 
nag me about taking a self-defense class again. (laughs) It's like people, you know, see me coming and run the other way uh, because I'm a little bit of a, you know, a zealot about it. But um, I say, well, if you said 12 years ago, you wanted to take a self-defense class, have, have you done that yet? And they go, Oh no. I said, well, if you were to take a self-defense class, what would you want to get out of it? And they say, well, I'd like to not be afraid. And I said, so you're afraid to take the thing that would help you get over your fears. Is that it? And they go, Oh yes. And I say, well, maybe, maybe the scariest step you have to take is to get yourself into the self-defense class. You know, and they go, oh, yeah, I think so. And so that's been a really useful thing to be aware of. But I, you know, that that she was so badass but didn't want to have it put to the test, that makes sense too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Beauty Bites Beast comes out, and then later there's a documentary. Tell us how that came about and what that yeah. experience is like. It's, it's part of why I'm so eager to have men read Beauty Bites Beast um, because two really significant events happened because a man read Beauty Bites Beast. Um, I was on a an investigative trip to Oaxaca, Mexico, because it most closely mimicked the sub-Saharan conditions insofar as it had enormous environmental damage and malaria. And one of the only places in the United States, uh, in the uh, Western hemisphere that had malaria and massive migration problems with um, almost all the young people leaving these villages in Oaxaca and going North to get factory work. So Uh, There were 13 of us, one of whom was a man that I just bonded with immediately. We got to be really good friends. We sat together on our little mini bus going from village to village and interviewing people. And I said, okay, Fred, I want you to read my book. And he said, okay. And I said, if I give you a copy, do you promise to read it? And he said, yes. So three, three months after the trip, um, I get an email from him saying, I didn't tell you this, but I own a factory in Tijuana. And after I read your book, I realized how clueless I am about the experience of being a woman. I mean, I'm tall, I'm well off, I am blonde, I'm, uh, you know, white, and I have never felt afraid on the street, ever. And I read your book and I go, I don't have a clue what it's like to be a woman. Hmm. Well, that makes sense because our entertainment is all very white male centric. So how how could he possibly? But he said, what would it take for you to come down and train the women who work for me in my factory? And I'm like, what? Wow. That's <laughs> so, awesome. I know. And I, I wrote back and I said, well, I have some conditions. I would like to tape it as a basis of a documentary. And two, I need you to provide this training during factory hours yeah. uh, and paid factory hours. I cannot count on these women because they don't have much time at home and for shopping and for the the second shift. Yeah. 
Right. And that I don't think they're going to come back if they're not doing paid factory time. And, and then the last thing is that you have no idea how messy shooting a film can be. There are going to be people that you don't know. There are going to be, you know, cords and lights and, you know, it's a mess. And he goes, Nope, I accept all your conditions. Like, oh, oh, wonderful. Oh my God. So that's how that happened. And, um, so the other condition I had is that we had to, he had to promise me we could come five weeks in a row. I didn't want to do a special training for these women just because they're uh, factory workers. I wanted them to have the whole Megillah, the way that we would train privileged white women in Los Angeles, right. which is once a week for five weeks in a row. Yeah. So um, that's what we did. And it was a logistics uh, challenge. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you should explain these um these suits that we would be taking through customs every week. So like, oh, the impact suits, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. helmets and stinky armor and all that kind of stuff, but um it was life-changing for the women who took it. We knew it would be. It's reliable, it's predictable. Yes. Yeah. So, I was the director and the producer and I'm in some of it and um I'm just very proud of it. And again, we could not raise the money for a promotion. It took 12 years because people in Hollywood are going, why would we want women to know how to protect themselves? What? I mean, I I got laughed out of um, fundraising and um, bankrolling pitch meetings. Wow. Um, so it's a miracle it got made, actually. Yeah. I, I, have to, I have to say, I find this so mind boggling. I, and maybe it's because I'm coming at it from this, this, again, this standpoint, the stuff that I write almost exclusively is about female action heroes. The stuff that I have been involved in, in terms of creation and work and uh, Dawn and I have done stuff with is all about female action heroes. So it's like, it's, it's a given the things you're talking about are, I almost think of as a given. So, and although I'm aware I, in particular, I look at how Hollywood, even today, even though you see strong, female characters it's very conditioned it's still very male-centric there's still the satellites around the great planet that is the male lead yeah. but th they are there yeah. uh and i, I guess I, I again i i'm wondering is it um is it something that in in terms of recent interactions because this is not that it doesn't sound like this is really frankly that long ago this is still you know, within the last two decades that, you know, you're having this experience. And I wonder, do you have, is, is that moved a little bit, the needle in terms of the way people in the industry might re receive it? I, I suspect that we've had a movement towards that and then a movement away. We seem to be regressing, but what is your thought on it now? Well, because again, I'm, my mind is just kind of blown hearing people say, why would you want to show that? I'm like, I think, why wouldn't you want to show that? That sounds completely, yeah. that's completely what I want to see. You're an anomaly, Sean. <laughs> um, I guess it's, it's just, it's just so odd to me. Yes. But you don't, you don't, I am assuming sexually harass women or consider women to be, you know, tasty little morsels that you can squeeze and, you know, poke and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I, I, let's see, we shot, Beauty Bites Beast in the factory in 2006. 
And uh, this is way before Me Too and mm-hmm. um, way before people going, yeah, we need to do something about this. Well, there are more women in power um, and um, maybe it's shifted, but I'm not raising money right now. So um, I I have no clue. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Yeah, I, I hope so too, because I mean, even I, I guess I'm, I shouldn't be so surprised that 2006 it would be like that, but that's not super long ago, and it's just it's still incredible to me. Yeah, I would hope that now, in particular, you would have much more a greater receptiveness towards it. Although, frankly, I and Don and I talk about this. I look at what I see now that's supposedly progressive on television, and I find it to be crypto patriarchal. It's like this kind of like I call it patriarchal aikido. It's like an end run. Like you take the energy your opponent wants to bring towards something like female empowerment, and you just kind of flip it so that you're still standing straight in the center of the mat. Right. Um, so I hope that it's better. But, um, you know, we'll... Yeah. Well, well I mean, yeah. there's a, I think there's a couple of things that work, if, if you'll allow me to, to sort of improvise here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think about the difference between defense and offense, right? Like we've talked about Mm -hmm. Athena. Athena is the goddess of defensive war. Right. As opposed to Ares, the god of war. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think there is, um, there's quite a confusion between those two things that if you teach a woman to defend herself, doesn't that mean she's just going to automatically go on a rampage and start attacking everyone she sees? No, there's a difference yeah, yeah. between learning defense and learning offense, right? It won't fundamentally change women to teach them how to protect themselves. They won't turn into killing machines, you know? Well, so there's con- context is decisive. I mean, yeah. you know, when w- people think about a woman protecting her home or her children, they're like, yeah, yeah. But when they are um, posed with the notion that a woman defending herself can actually con- uh, include offense, um, you know, it's like I, this is a complicated area. And I love being able to get into nuance like this because I don't think and I don't know, but I don't think women are better than men are. And we don't know because we haven't seen enough women in power to see if women really would wield power differently. I mean, you look at Margaret Thatcher, you look at a whole bunch of women who are just assholes. And (laughs) it's like, but but that's not the point. The point is we're citizens and we're people. And um, uh, Louisa May Alcott was quite a suffragist. And, you know, she's the author of Little Women and famous and, uh, in Little Women, there's a discussion about the vote being uh, necessary for women because they're the kinder and the more um, peaceful sex. And it's like, right. well, wait a minute. And um, I think it was Joe that said, no, you can't base rights on merit because yeah. who decides who decides whether they're meritorious or not? You have to base the vote on somebody being a citizen and good or bad, you know, that's kind of where I come from. It's like, you know what? I want asshole women to know how to defend themselves too. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can't judge them, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it, this also makes me well, think uh, of mm-hmm. discussions that I've had with my, with my female friends where we talk about uh, just standing up for yourself in general and mm-hmm. how, um, you know, women are less likely to fight for themselves than they are likely to fight for their loved ones. Right. And so that whole mentality as well of like, I don't, you know, why should I put all this energy into defending myself? It's like, well, yes, you should, because you're, you're worth it. You are yeah. absolutely worth it. You are just as worthy as your friends, as your children, as your dogs, as your property. You right. are worthy of being defended. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, that, that, and, that seems, sorry. Yeah. And we're, it feels like we're still, even in, you know, 2022, we are still struggling to, to help women believe that they are worth, worth the time and the energy to defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely have different standards about the, the you know the act of defense like you talk about the, the right to defend yourself as a woman and also the the notion of this this virtuous delicate fragile creature who must be protected and and her kindly you know milk of kindness will be what gives her the right to vote so it's like uh, what it makes me think when you talk about this stone is the fact that and, and not to go too far afield on this is that it's just the way women are judged by different standards. And this applies to also, you can say, ethnic minorities too. But uh, the standards of their transgressions are considered, are, are blown into the extreme, out of proportion. Uh, transgressions that happen to men are just considered, these are just foibles of an individual. So mm-hmm. in other words, you know, you could, you know, if you look at who goes to prison for, you know, financial improprieties, for um, you know who gets uh, uh, who gets attacked for being too ambitious in the political arena. It's the same kind of sensibility of oh well, she's going to fight and defend herself now, or she's fighting for her own particular individuality. So I think that's it's all those things that that bring that in together and make people really fearful. Some people really fearful of what you know this uh, kind of stuff is about this self defense or women just having that physical power and feeling well, feeling comfortable. Women women who uh, defend themselves against a uh, an assault by a loved one get longer sentences yes they do yes they do yeah you know they're because they're at, at core and maybe not even uh articulated is that she's unnatural for having gotten violent even in her own defense Yes, I had I did, I did not know that. Could you say a little more, either of you, about that? Because I'm just interested. So you're saying that when it's like a domestic violence situation, a woman defends herself, does some act of violence in protection of herself, the the law comes down on her uh, greater than in other situations where she might defend yep. herself. Yep. I don't have any. See, the part of the problem with having 50 states is that um, there there are state by state differences Uh, and a lot of those states don't even keep statistics like that because you got to value something in order to keep track of it and um you know so the the uh it's not just anecdotal there are stats at it but i don't have them at my fingertips but juries don't like it when women are violent even if they do not their own defense 
Yep. And stand your ground laws, too. If you do research on stand your ground laws, there's a difference in the way that women are treated when they, quote unquote, stand their ground as opposed to men. Um, When women defend themselves against potential threats with a gun, they are much more likely to be put away than men are. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, um, women of color to to an extensive degree worse than white women. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And straight women versus um, LGBTQ. I mean, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a... It's a mess. So let's um, let's go back to your work, Ellen, and let's talk a little bit about the safety godmothers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this is a newer work. It's still, um, I think, 2014, 2016? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still about I, half it, a decade ago. But tell us how that came about, your collaboration with Impact. and Well, and, uh, we are... Um, we're appalled because the most kindly, well-meaning parents have no clue what to say to their kids about violence. Uh, you know, and so we designed this to be read with parents, with their kids. Uh, doesn't matter what gender they are or um, background, Um it's, it is, uh, it is, I'm sorry to say a little, um, heteronormative. Okay. Um, we don't have, we did not have examples of, uh, successful, uh, defenses from the, uh, LGBTQ community. Not that we didn't want to, but we just didn't have them. So what we wanted to do was have a compendium of success stories that, um, from A to Z. So we have chapters uh, arranged by, you know, um, the name of the, the, uh, the hero in the piece. Mm-hmm. And um, we wanted this to be a shared experience. And uh, we were not able to sell it. We were not able to get an agent for it. And so we self-published and we didn't have any money for promotion. And again, it's anecdotal. We have people contacting us and say, we read this together and it was one of the best experience, uh, experiences I've had with my um, child, usually between, it was designed for from tween to teen, basically. And since a lot of parents are developmentally delayed boundary-wise, the adults get as much as uh, the, the kids get out of it. So... Wonderful, wonderful. So boosting the signal on that, buy yeah. it for all of your your friends who have children in that age range. Yeah. Um, because and this if they're is not it, there yet, they will be. So they will be. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I don't mean to sound like such a complainer, and I also um I'm amazed I'm still standing because there are so many things that were discouraging. And I, it's, it's really a, um, a testament to my persistence that I'm still passionate and still talking about all this stuff, because, you know, they say about pioneers, you gotta be, you gotta have people who are willing to take the 
uh, slings and arrows of being in the front line. And um, yeah, that's just the way it is. Don't worry about complaining. I I often say, people say it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness, but sometimes you need to do both. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, It is not, it is not easy. It's a slog. And, um, you know, we need to find uh, our support where we can get it. So uh, hopefully you hear how much we admire you and uh, how much we're thrilled at the work you've done. Thank you. And I mean, there are are women before me. Yes. I'm standing on shoulders, too. And in fact, Susan B. Anthony said, um, a woman must be taught to defend herself. (laughs) I mean, yeah, she well, was hip to that. <laughs> was we've like, talked, I, I can't remember if we've talked. Yes, of course, the whole suffragitsu episode. We've yeah. talked on this podcast about Edith Garrett, who yeah. was um, one of the people that was teaching the suffragists self-defense so that when they were speaking about the votes for women, they were able to defend themselves against both mashers in the crowd and the police who were trying to arrest them. I have a segment so. on, on um, Garrett in Beauty Bites Beast, as a matter of fact. The, yes, you do. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it, wow. What an innovator she was. Yes. <laughs> and she was tiny. She was tiny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, exactly. We are, but we are all standing on the shoulders of the women before us who have done the work and men who have done the work. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of work, um, tell us a little bit about being a goodwill ambassador for the National Women's History Project. Well, I've morphed my position uh, from goodwill ambassador to board member. And um, we, um, so what we is have, the National Women's History Project? Let's start there. The National Women's History Alliance now, and we're clearinghouse for uh, uh, alliances of groups that are specifically working their asses off to get women's history into curriculum. Um, it's still just mind-boggling. I cannot even fathom how... Uh, invisible women have been and how invisible we are to ourselves. It just makes me crazy. Anyway. Yeah. We, we share that. <laughs> really? You don't notice that you're missing. I mean, right. you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called outliers. Right. And, um, you know, it was a really interesting book and I'm going, well, so where are the women? How the fuck? Can you write a book about extraordinary human beings and not have one woman in it? And he managed, and a lot of my really badass feminist friends didn't even notice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can you not notice that you're missing? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's astonishing. We talk, again, we talk about this over and over. If you look at the episodes on this podcast, it's all about a lot of the stuff that's erased. We particularly, we have uh, our third member of the three amigos so amigos amigas amigas yeah well it's both and after in spanish it has to be both amigo and amigas um but uh which is vicky noble and she has done a lot of work uh following in maria Kimbuda's footsteps with uh 
the prehistory, the matriarchal prehistory, uh, particularly in old Europe, but that uh, also expands the globe. And it's a history that is extensive, a history of female-centric societies. And no one, not only do people not talk about it, but what we're finding interesting now as we're looking at latest developments in archaeology and genetics is many of these these theories are being proven as accurate, but they're being rewritten as non-female. So they're just sort of like the female aspect of them are being is being erased, even as these things are being proven. So it's just it's going on right at the present moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and the work of the Gina Davis Institute um, mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles is um, has provided some really wonderful statistics for this about how we look at a group of men and women and if there's 17% women, we think it's equal. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. it's true. We just, as a, as a culture here in the States, we just do not perceive until it's pointed out to us again and again and again That's right. how missing the women are. Yes, they have, the Gina Davis Institute even said it has to do with crowds. Like there are crowds of extras. It's predominantly men. It's like, really, people? It's like, geez, Louise. Yeah, Gina does a wonderful little bit about that where she says, it must be just that women don't gather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, and I want to commend you for using the word suffragist rather than suffragette. However, the English women... Um, decided they weren't going to fight the suffragette label. They had bigger battles to fight. So it is proper to call the English suffragists suffragettes and the American suffrage uh, activists suffragists. It's it's so arcane, but there you go. Um, well, I think I think there is also an element of reclaiming too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's sort of like reclaiming the word bitch. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm a bitch. Yeah, call me a suffragette. As long as you gave me the vote, I yeah. don't care. But I'm, I'm you know, um, being on the board with the National Women's History Alliance, I oh. was able to uh, preemptively strike the Hollywood Bowl. They were ready to do a big uh, concert to celebrate the 100th anniversary of winning the vote for white women. Right. Um, and they were calling it Suffragette Concert and Suffragette This. And I was able to get to them and go... Um, please use suffragist if this is all American music. And, you know, if you need me to come on stage to talk about the difference, I'm happy to do that. But then it got called off because of COVID. COVID. <laughs> yes. So um, what, uh, as a board member for the National Women's History Alliance now, yep. mm-hmm. um, what are some of the projects that are being worked on? Well, uh, good question. Do you have a connection to that or? Yeah, yeah. Mostly we're raising money to stay alive right now um, because a lot of women-centric nonprofits are barely surviving. Um, And uh, history is considered to be a frill as, uh, you know, so we're we're raising money and we raised money to uh, be a big presence in the 2019 Tournament of Roses Parade, which, oh my God, it was so beautiful. I got to be one of the 
marchers. Uh, we were all in white turn of the century, turn of the last century suffrage outfits. And it was just glorious. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the biggest, most visible splashes we've made. Um, but right now, we're working on consciousness and just bringing up with everybody. How is your child's curriculum? Do you have, do you mark March as women's history month? Um, so we do our best to promote women's history month and August 26th as women's equality day. Um, and make sure people know that women's history is alive and well in our online store. We have great tools for the classroom. We have, gifts for Mother's Day. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know where my mute button is on this. And I'm I'm having a little bit of a it's the little microphone just on your blue strip to your oh, right, to the right of your name. Yeah. Okay. Um and as far as a specific project goes, we're currently working on our next uh, edition of our magazine, which we make the most beautiful magazines. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness. And we so what is the what is the website so that people can go to the online store? It's nwha.org. nwha.org. Great. You know, it strikes me, Dawn, and Ellen, I think we definitely want to talk with you about that. You know, you gave a shout out to Charlie earlier in the show. And one of the things that that particular listener brought up was the desire to teach the to take the podcast we've been doing and put them in a format that would be for educational to younger to, to girls. Um, and, and boys. I think, and boys, yes. But she, I, she had specifically had cited yeah. that, but um, maybe, I mean, it's something I would, uh, maybe we could talk with you about Ellen, because we're trying to find a way to get the lost and suppressed history that we've been sharing on these podcasts out to uh, a greater, a, a wider group of people, but in particular to younger people, so that these stories of this, this history isn't lost. Yeah. So maybe that's something we can talk about at another time, because well, I think that could, that could be an, an, a way to do it, a way to help do it. Our, our youngest board member is still in high school, and she anger is a really great fuel. She is yes. an advanced placement history student, and she was appalled at the text that she had in Virginia, close to the Capitol, yeah. that there was so scanty information about women. It, she was just furious. So she joined our board and she's created organizations. She's a wonderful young woman. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> my husband says, He's so proud of me because I go around the world pissing one woman and girl off at a time if I have to. <laughs> you know? I love it. <laughs> well, it makes me, makes me think of Gloria Steinem. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. That's right. And I also want to do a shout out to Gavin DeBecker's latest project, which is giftoffear.com. That's giftoffear.com. And on there, there are classes that he leads that are half hour each. And if you have people who doubt whether women need to know how to defend themselves, just have them look at the first master class he gives. Mm. It's not 
masterclass makes people go, oh yeah, I know about masterclasses. No, this is giftoffear.com, not masterclasses. Right. Um, because uh, they, they were invited to become part of masterclass, but Gavin, being the mensch that he is, wanted to make sure that this was completely and utterly free to everybody, that you didn't have to pay for it at all. The only thing you needed to do is get a screen, go to the library if you have to, and go to giftoffear.com and watch one half hour at a time. And I'm very proud to say that I'm one of the talking heads in it. Uh, Gavin has always recognized my passion and my advocacy and um, underscores he can. Yes. And his, his book gift of fear was also life changing uh, Mm -hmm. for me. It's really just a brilliant study on um, the psychology and techniques of people who want to do harm Mm -hmm. and how, um, how we have inside of ourselves, the instincts um, that can pick up signals but through conditioning, especially for women, socialization, don't make waves, smile and be nice, you know, placate, pacify, how we, um, how we suppress those fear instincts and yep. um, can get ourselves into uh, trouble that we could have avoided if we'd paid attention to ourselves. Right, right. So, yes, I, I love Gavin DeBecker's work. Yes. And um, also a shout out to Beauty Bites Beast. The documentary is available uh, on Vimeo, uh, paid Vimeo. And um, if you have somebody who is wondering why, have them look at my movie and they'll never ask again. I have people who say, if I hadn't seen your movie, I'd be severely injured or dead. Mm. That makes it worth 12 years of heartache. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you don't get a better endorsement than that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, in uh, just because we're up at the uh, at the hour mark, um, is there any anything else in closing, Ellen, that you'd like to share just with our listeners before we sign off? No. Um, well, yes. Okay. Um, we would not be having this discussion if it were about dogs or any other species on the planet. People just accept that females of other species. Uh, defend themselves. (laughs) It's like, and size, all the things that people use, oh, well, women are smaller. Well, yes, that's true. And there's a certain advantage to being bigger, but there are advantages to being smaller too. Um, And I use the example, if you're walking on the street and you see a dog growling and barking at you, you don't look under it's carriage to see if it's a male or female. <laughs> you uh, go, okay, got it. I got it. That's a boundary. I'll respect it. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So that's my parting thought. Wonderful. Dawn, how about you? I, I know that it is, um, difficult to overcome a lot of the social conditioning and a lot of the fear that comes from confronting the idea that we live in a dangerous world. Um, But learning the skills of self-defense can actually help you to recognize when you're not in a dangerous situation and can help give you the confidence to live your life 
uh, with a lot less fear. And that can only be a good thing. I have so many instances where I know I stopped violence from happening because I was listening to myself. But how can you prove something that didn't happen? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You just have to take our word for it. That's That's how. (laughs) All right. I want to thank Thank you all for listening. I want to thank Ellen Starlin. Thank you, Ellen, for being here and for talking and sharing this with us today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Dawn, as always, for co-piloting and flying the plane. Absolutely. And thank you. Land (laughs) safely. And thank you, Sean. All right. This has been the 34 Circe Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again. We've been talking with Ellen Snortlin about uh, women's self-defense and Beauty Bites Beasts. Thank you all for listening. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.